It's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And they're on their feet here at the Rogers Center. The 2-0 on the way. Bounced in the hole and through. Here comes Springer. And the Blue Jays win it. Toronto Blue Jays are postseason bound. They have clinched a wild card spot today on the off day as we record this with the Baltimore Orioles losing to the Boston Red Sox 5-3 at Fenway Park. Bryson, Jacob, the day has finally come. How are you guys? About a year ago, we were talking, I guess, obviously with our podcast in a very similar way in terms of this playoff hunt. We know how it ended. We know how, I guess, just the end of season whole thing happened. A year later, we're in the same position, but this time, well before the season ends, or at least two series before the season ends, six games, the Blue Jays officially clinch on their off day. Not the most exciting way to clinch, but at the same time, they finally did it. I think the fact that that's out of the way now is crucial because we knew that it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when, and uh, the fact that they finally got this done today is very relieving uh, throughout the last uh, weekend of the season. And I will say, how ironic is that last year, the Red Sox ruined the Jays' chances of getting in, and <laughs> yeah. now this year they were the the reason why the Jays got in today on their off day. So definitely a really good day for Blue Jays fans. And we were talking like all season about the fact that you cannot have this season go down to the final series against Baltimore because that's the way it was shaping up for the longest time. And now, as things stand now, we have six games left of the season, two series, and the Blue Jays have kind of already got their postseason picture sorted, of course, we're going to talk about this. This is only one step in the process. It's full steam ahead from this point because you are still playing for a lot more before the postseason starts. But, yeah, it you can allow yourself a little bit of celebration right now. Yeah, I'll tell you what. We said this the entire season. Last year, the Blue Jays were one game short. This season is a little bit different. They're one entire week early. And, I don't know, I think it shows just this team – is better than last season in the sense that they were able to get past their mistakes. They obviously are now in the playoffs. It's, you know, it's obviously the the job is not finished. There are still things that they need to do, and, and we'll get to this. But as of right now, you know that you are guaranteed making it into the playoffs. And I, honestly, I think, I wish the team was playing because then it would be a little bit more entertaining because it's not like we can watch anything on TV or watch the players celebrating. But I don't care. I'll take it. I'll take game one, game. I'll take three games, just hope they're in Toronto, and then who knows, I've, we've heard it all season long, if one team can get hot and make a run late in the season, it could be the Blue Jays, and who knows, I think I'll take them against the Rays or the Mariners any day in that playoff series. I will say, I think it's tough to compare this year's team to last year's team, only because the bar is lower for making the postseason, right? So we talk about how it's not coming down to the final game, but... There's more postseason spots to go around. And as things stand now, the Blue Jays are sitting on 87 wins. Last year, they had 91 wins and missed the playoffs. They're probably, I shouldn't say probably, there's a good chance they get to 91 wins again this season. Because like I said, six games left. If you go 4-2, and two, then you're at 91 wins, exact same record. But the bar is lower this year because there are 
more spots to go around. But still, that doesn't negate the fact that this is an incredible achievement for this team. And I mean, you look back past the years, yeah, 2020, they made the postseason. It's a Mickey Mouse season, Mickey Mouse playoffs, Mickey Mouse World Series. It does not count in my mind. I don't even think about it when I think of postseason runs. So really for me, this is the first time they made the postseason since 2016. And that is awesome. It is going to be so, so fun to watch that. And I cannot wait for the Blue Jays to be playing postseason baseball. And as I said, there's still more to play for. You're still playing for home field advantage. So let's just break down what the picture looks like right now. Because obviously that is... The biggest question moving forward, the biggest thing to watch over the next six games is what happens with the Blue Jays? Are they able to do what we hope they do and secure home field advantage in the wild card? Obviously, they have an advantage right now. They lead the wild card race by two games over the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays losing today as we record this to the Guardians just a couple minutes ago. The picture is a little bit complicated. So, if the Blue Jays win both of the next series, if they go 4-2 and two over the next six games, I think they'll be fine. They have a very good shot of hosting the wildcard game. Because if they go 4-2, and two, then the Rays have to go 6-0, and zero, I think, if I'm doing my math right. They'll have to go 6-0 and zero because they're two games behind, so they have to win two more games than the Blue Jays. 6-0 and zero over their remaining games. Um, I don't know if we know the result of this Seattle game. Tonight yet? No, it's still in warm-up. So, obviously dependent on tonight, but including tonight, if the Blue Jays go 4-2, the Mariners have to go 7-1 and one over their remaining eight games they play today. And then they also have a doubleheader, I think, on Tuesday, which is why they have eight instead of six games left, like the Blue Jays and the Rays do now that they've finished playing today. So, basically, if the Blue Jays go 4-2, and two, the Rays have to be undefeated, or the Mariners have to go 7-1. and one. Both stretches are unlikely at this point. So, if the Blue Jays win both series... They're golden, in my mind. If you split the final six games, if you go in three and three, it gets a little bit easier. The Rays go five and one. The Mariners have to go six and two. You can start to see how that kind of entertains a realm of possibility, especially with the schedule that the Mariners have, but it's still pretty difficult. So I'm feeling pretty comfortable with where the Blue Jays are right now. I might regret this in six days' time, but the way things sit now with the Blue Jays, Couple games up in the wild card race, looking good to host the wild card series. I'm curious how you guys are looking at this picture, how comfortable you are with the position the Blue Jays are in right now as we talk on September 29th. So I'll be honest, I'm not worried about this Red Sox series, but I am extremely nervous about that last series in Baltimore. And here's the thing I'm just looking at the score right now, and they have Manoa. Stripling and Gosman slated for that three-game series against uh, the Boston Red Sox, which is at home. Their final three home games of the season. I I think those are three games that you get quality starts out of all three of your starters, and it's going to be overall a quality game. Where it gets a little bit more difficult is when they go to Baltimore, and you might see Kikuchi. You most likely, or not Kikuchi. I mean to say Mitch White. Maybe, maybe in. Well, actually, guaranteed. It's going to be Mitch White and Jose Barrios. Yeah, and I think Barrios, I don't know if it's yeah. announced yet, but no, it'll. That's what I meant. That, it's, it's most gonna likely going to be Barrios. for now. Yeah, Barrios. Yeah. And, well, Mitch, yeah, that's it. Sorry, just not yeah. to interrupt, but no, uh, like this, this could change because right now Alec Manoa is scheduled for Game Three of that series because they were anticipating it being the tiebreaker, but that game might not matter, so they might save 
Manoa for game one of the wild card, and then they'll roll out Kikuchi for game one sixty. I don't know. Moving parts still, but mm-hmm. yeah. But th- I think the key is is you need to you absolutely need to win this series against the Red Sox, if not sweep them. And I'm not saying that you cannot trust Barrios at all or Mitch White, but I mean, like, let's let's not kid ourselves here. I don't know if you can. <laughs> so that's where I'm a little nervous. And th- I guess the one thing that we should add is the Orioles could be out of it at that point. I mean, maybe they don't really care. Maybe they're like, ah, whatever, let's just, you know, throw the towel and we don't really care for this season anymore. Or they could play spoiler, which could be the case. I mean, you don't want to lose at home your last couple games of the season, but that's where I'm a little nervous is how is that series going to play out? And how is it going to play out if you do not have anything lined up yet? Like, I feel like home field advantage is most likely going to be something that's figured out in the final three games of this season, if not the final four, like maybe the final two, but I still doubt it. But I don't think it can figure out at that point, but it's, it's something where if you desperately need somebody to go on short rest for that series, and then in the wildcard series, I think that's something that you absolutely need to entertain because we've talked about this before. Would we be mad about third place in the wildcard race playing against Cleveland? Not really. It wouldn't be the worst. I mean, okay. Mark's saying yes, but it wouldn't be the worst option. I would be now. You talked to me two weeks ago when things are closer. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but if you blow it at this point, I prefer home field advantage. I'd be a little bit mad if that happens over the next six games. Yeah, true. But if, so if the Blue Jays were not to be first, I'd be happier with them in third just because second, I I hope I never see Tropicana Field again. I do not want to see them play a wildcard series there. So the thing is, is I just, I, I think you need to, if not sweep this series, you have to 1000% win this next series against the Red Sox so that this last series against the Rays or against the Orioles is not just you scrambling to find starters because you know, I know Brios is here for another seven years, and I know Kikuchi's here for another two years, or and Mitch White, you know, like they, I know they have things that they can work on with these pitchers. But the last thing I want to do is just be praying to the baseball gods that either of those three can throw out any type of quality innings. And worst comes to worst, you throw out Manoa, and then pray to God that he's good for Game Three, but in the Wild Card Series. But basically, look, you got you got to take these next three these three games against the Red Sox and then the final games, just the, the remainder of the season, you need to take them and don't take them as a grain of salt. You have clinched a playoff spot, but you have clinched nothing else. And it's not like you're the Yankees. It's not like you're any other team who gets a bye. You, all you've done is gotten that bare minimum done and get, getting into the playoffs. Now you need to go and win most, if not all of the remainder of your games. And they did it last year. I mean, we talk about last season, they needed a sweep to even be considered a team for the playoffs against the Orioles. And they did that. They d- destroyed them. I think they scored like 10 runs in the last two games, if not all three of the games in that series. So I'm not, I, I don't think that the team can't do that. I don't think that they can't secure home field advantage. I'm just worried that what will happen in that series in Baltimore and who's going to start. And depending on the s- scenarios, who if home field advantage is not locked up by that third game, who's going to start? Because, if you don't have it by that game, it, it absolutely needs to be Alec Manoa. And I guess to make things easier, you got to do what you got to do against the Red Sox. And you absolutely need to go out and take two, if not three of three against them. Yeah, it's, I think by, I think the one thing that's clear is by the end of this weekend, we're going to have maybe not a clear picture or a clear idea of what it's going to look like kind of 
where the standings are, but I think we're going to have a much better idea where we are today because as much as you guys were saying, of course, where the Jays are in, you like where the, the spot that they're in. Of course, they got help tonight from the Cleveland Guardians, and then hopefully uh, the I think it's the Oakland A's can help out uh, us who are playing the Seattle Mariners. I believe that's who they're playing. Um, yeah, they are, so that that is who they're playing. So a couple or some more help, of course, uh, on the scoreboard would definitely help. And then, of course, the Jays, what they have lined up in front of them, like you guys were talking about, the Red Sox, and then you have the Baltimore Orioles in that final game. But b- despite that, as much as... Um, the Jays, you know, have somewhat of a lead, maybe not the biggest lead. You still like where they are sitting in terms of what happened tonight, especially on your off night, you're gaining a half game on the Rays. And of course, hopefully again, it's the Seattle Mariners tonight. So the fact that you're already up two games to begin with uh, puts you in a good spot. And you were talking about it, Mark, perhaps going four and two the rest of the way, it should be enough despite, or I guess not ruling out any other team going on and, you know, a significant hot streak. So that's the one thing you got to look at it from. And the second thing is that, of course, you know, you look at it on paper, what they have coming up. Um, I I think I'm actually going to agree with you, Jacob. I think this weekend compared to what you might find next week um, is going to be a little bit easier for me to kind of feel comfortable about just because, of course, uh, the Jays play the Red Sox really well. No matter if it's at Fenway Park, if it's in Toronto, this year was another year of them doing that in terms of what they um, or pretty much how they performed against the Red Sox. You know, basically winning, I believe, every game this year at Fenway Park, if not all of them. And of course, when the games were here, they won most of the games to begin with, too. So you like where that lines up with that. And then next week, and, of course, this weekend is going to be crucial to what you see next week because what you hinted at, Mark, um, when you and Jacob were talking earlier a few minutes ago, is that as much as you know what's lined up this weekend against the Red Sox, uh, where you have Barrios going – sorry, not Barrios going. You have Manoa going, Gosman going, Stripling going. That next series in Baltimore, you have – based on the rotation, you got to send out Jose Barrios and Mitch White. Like, that's for now. And, of course, by the end of the weekend, could that still be – you know, set in stone, there's a very good chance, no. Uh, there's a very good chance that they readjust things for that final series in Baltimore, and somebody like Alec Manoa is going to have to go and pretty much kind of, I guess, sacrifice his spot on the wildcard roster in order for the Jays to clinch home field. I guess that may be the worst-case scenario, but of course, the best-case scenario, first of all, the first step about this last series, you know, technically, is take away the seating, it doesn't have any significance with the Jays in terms of missing the playoffs. That's secured that's over with. But now, as much as that is important to note, or yeah, important to note for the end of the season, you still now how to, or you still have to take into account now where you sit in the seating because, of course, the goal is for home field advantage, uh, and the Jays really have that in front of them right now. But of course, they're still going to have to, you know, win games the rest of the way, despite it being in a good spot for them and being it right there for them. They can't let up now, and I don't think they're going to let up now. I mean, there was definitely some issues this series that we might talk about in terms of what we saw against the Yankees that may or may not get you worried for potential, you know, playoff game or playoff scenario. But the fact is, is that Jose Barrios going and Mitch White going, as much as that, I guess, is like a probability uh, for the next series, a lot can change in terms of the fact you might send it to Alec Manoa. You might, you know, it's, we don't know what's going to happen. And maybe that last game of the season, like you were talking about, maybe it means nothing. That's the best case scenario is that you head into that final series. It means absolutely nothing. You have home field advantage secured. Still unlikely. I believe the, the, the magic number to clinch home field is currently at five. I believe that's what it's at. It might be lower now uh, because the Rays lost tonight, but I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the number is, but I think it's around there anyway, which means you're going to need some help on the weekend 
in order to for that last series to have a chance to mean nothing. Because, of course, you have six games left, and basically if everyone wins out, it's going to go to the final game of the season. So the best-case scenario is that that final game doesn't mean anything. Perhaps you do a bullpen game. Perhaps you throw out Yusei Kikuchi like you guys were talking about. I'm not sure how they're going to line up the rotation for that, but I think the first step is definitely getting through Boston this weekend, something that they've done all year. And by Sunday night, you should have a better idea of where things are with the seating. And of course, there's a chance that that might not be the case, uh, that you might still be in the same spot. You might be in a worse situation. And that three-game series in Baltimore is definitely going to mean are going to be very important. But right now, you got to like where this team is, of course, uh, where they sit on the standings. And I'm, I'm glad, for, again, once again, that they finally got this out of the way in terms of officially clinching a playoff spot. Right now, I'm kind of in the space where I'm just assuming the Blue Jays are going to win only one of three of that series in Baltimore. And I know like maybe that's a bit critical and we're weak out and you know, baseball is baseball. Anything can happen. But when you have Jose Brios, who's been very flaky, and you have Mitch White going out there who hasn't had his best stuff all year, or at least with the Blue Jays, he was better when he was with the Dodgers. Like I just kind of expect the Blue Jays to lose one of three. And like I laid out earlier, like if the Blue Jays sweep the Red Sox, then you're talking about taking four of the final six games, you're in a fine position. If you're talking about the Blue Jays taking two of three from the Red Sox, then assuming you lose a series to Baltimore, you're talking about a three and three split final six games. That's fine, as I laid out earlier. I think where it starts to become problematic is if you somehow lose a series against Boston. And that's when I will be in, I don't know if panic mode's the right word, because again, we're talking about home field advantage. We're not talking about life or death here, but I think that's when I will be concerned because then you're if you lose that series against Baltimore you're talking about going two and four in the final six games and then the Rays need to only go four and two and the Mariners need to go I think it'd be uh would it be six and two no five my math is failing me regardless it get the path gets easier for the Mariners and the Rays if you go two and four and that that's just kind of an uncomfortable territory to be in. So that's what I want the Blue Jays to avoid. You need to win this series in Boston so that no matter what happens in Baltimore, you're good to go and preferably sweep the series against Boston so that you're good for Baltimore. You don't have to worry about it at all. You don't have to worry about Alec Manoa throwing that final game of the series. Um, okay, so that's all the seating side of things. That's the fun side of things. Let's talk about this series specifically because three games against the New York Yankees and it was one hell of a series and a lot of fun to watch. Um, let's go game by game because there's a, a couple things I want to cue into in each game. So let's start with game one. That's the, this is my house. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. walks it off against the Yankees. Um, first off, this is just an awesome moment. I think what I find interesting about this game is a reaction that we saw from Yankees fans after it. And I don't know how I would describe it, the way I've described it to a couple of people who don't follow baseball, some of my friends, is it's like New York New York media and Yankees fans have just discovered that Toronto exists. And all of a sudden, they're mad that the Blue Jays are good. That's how I would describe it. Because you read through the tweets on Twitter, and I mean, just I, I think the one that kind of got most of the ire from Blue Jay fans was one saying um, basically the Blue Jays are unlikable no one likes them and they're the most toxic fan base or most toxic team in baseball and like I, I don't know where that's coming from there's people complaining that the Blue Jays are celebrating without having earned it 
They have a swagger that they haven't earned as a team. I don't really know where any of this is coming from. Like, yeah, the Blue Jays have fun playing baseball. Yeah, they're emotional on the field. You look at the end of the dugout. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, Bo Bichette, they're not referential to the old guard. They are kids. Let the kids play. They embody that, and that's awesome. I don't know the problem that New York Yankee fans have with the Blue Jays other than the fact that they beat them and Yankee fans are upset. And obviously the rest of this series is another conversation that we'll tackle later. But for right now, I just want to talk about the reaction of Yankee fans and Yankee media because I thought it was so interesting. Another thing I found fascinating was, I don't know if they mentioned this in TV broadcast or if it was just radio with Ben Wagner, but um, one of them mentioned that uh, the way that they did pregame press conference with Aaron Boone uh, the manager of the Yankees was different than they normally do. Normally, it's just a scrum in the dugout with traveling media around them. But this series, because there was so much traveling media from New York, because of obviously Aaron Judge sitting on 60, they put him up in the press conference room because there was so much media that they had to handle it that way. And again, there's just New York just discovered that Toronto exists. And they are now upset that Toronto exists. So that's how I view all of this. I think it's very stupid. I'm wondering if you guys have any passionate opinions about this. See, you know that you beat somebody and you know that you absolutely won against somebody when they start pulling personal attacks against you. And I just love the fact that you beat the Yankees. And I'm sure part of the reaction was because of the walking Aaron Judge. But I just love the fact that Blue Jays walk it off and Yankees fans are just throwing a hissy fit. Like they'll just grab like whatever's in their house and just launch it across the room and be like, man, I'm so mad that my team just lost to the Blue Jays. How dare they? We need to clinch the division. That sounds like you, Jacob. Uh, uh, yeah. There's <laughs> not a McDonald's. <laughs> it was me when, uh, yeah. It's me whenever the Leafs lose, which is always. But anyways. Um, <laughs> of course, you have to throw that in there. It's true. I don't even want to talk about this season. But anyways, um, I, it's just Yankees fans were the epitome of little children that just didn't get their way. They wanted Whoa. the division. They want 61. Okay. okay, I want both of those two if I was a Yankees fan. And, you know, it was cool to see Aaron Judge hit that, that 61st home run. But, like, he also lost. So, I don't know. Get over it. But, now, I, there, that being said, they could say that to us as fans. But, anyways, whatever. Um, point being, I think part of the reaction was just simply because of Aaron Judge getting intentionally walked. Like, that specific game and how they bring in Tim Meza, intentionally walk Aaron Judge. Anthony Rizzo grounds out. And then Aaron Judge or Aaron Boone, excuse me, forgets to walk Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because they want to face Alejandro Kirk instead, or I don't remember what the heck they wanted to do. But basically, they're mad about that, about how they walk Judge. And I'm just gonna take the win, Yankees fans. Whatever you got your division, you got your buy. Stop crying about it. And then the last thing, people that say that the Blue Jays haven't earned something, they're a playoff team. They've been competing for playoff spots, if not in playoff spots, for the last three seasons. They, these are people that are having fun playing baseball and they are good at it. So I really don't know why you're not allowed to cheer about that. And also, if you had 50,000 people screaming because you did something good, I think I'd be cheering a little bit too. And the last thing I'll say on that is you do not need to win a World Series to prove that you are a good team. Like this team, yes, obviously there are teams that have proved more than the Blue Jays right now, but they are in a good spot. They are in a spot that they have superstars on their team they can go on a deep run and there's nothing wrong with cheering. And I mean, what don't Yankee fans do that too? Like when judge hits home runs at home, like I really don't know why you just do that. But anyways, this, this whole 
debate is where I could probably go off on just an absolute tangent because it just listening to people get mad at fans being happy about a team just absolutely bobbles my mind or boggles my mind but <laughs> it is what it is at the end of the day at the end of the day the Yankees got the last laugh in that series so I'll give them that like I guess you know but whatever it's it's one of those situations where now Blue Jays Yankees they go their separate ways Let's just hope they meet in the playoffs because it could be a lot more fun if you see somebody walk off the Yankees and, oh, boo-hoo, they, they walked Aaron Judge again in the playoffs. But <laughs> it's, it'll, be, uh, it'll be a great end of the season. I'm just happy that the Blue Jays won that game. And at the end of the day, this is why we all like to watch sports because of moments like this. So I'll take it for what it is. And both teams are in the playoffs. I think it's going to be a very, very, very good end to the season if those two meet. I think... Um... If it stands with the Jays, assuming they get home field, I believe the way they meet would be it have to be in the ALCS because they would play the Houston Astros in the DS. So that would be that'd be pretty cool in terms of playoff series there. But I mean, you I think you guys like Jacob. I think I can listen to you have a a whole hour just ranting about Yankees fans after what I heard from that. Oh man, honestly, like that. no, but no, but it's <laughs> it's true. Like you know, you guys were pretty much I I guess you guys were be, nailing it in terms of that in terms of how. It just to them it really doesn't make any sense, or to me I should say it doesn't really make any sense. Like you guys were saying, I agree with you guys on that. I think to me it's expected. Just it's just it's always felt like that. Even like the I mean you know we talk about how we don't really talk about 2020. Look at the past playoff experiences in 2015, 2016, even throughout the regular season dealing with like the the Yankees and you know just other division opponents that year. Even the Orioles too can get on my nerves a little bit that fan base. I know they're kind of starting to resurface now uh because they're starting to get good again, but I don't know. I just it always feels like they've always kind of had you know AL East teams or whatever just they you know they like to target Toronto and of course there might be a different country factor in there you know I just I think it's an easy target for them and I think they really just enjoy it for whatever reason so to me I'm it it's weird to say but I think as much as I expect it I'm I'm used to it like I'm I'm fine with it it doesn't bother me I know you know the slander of course online throughout um you know I think there was Michael Kay giving a shot at Vladimir Guerrero Jr. saying they clinch home field at his house or whatever and there's also Mark, you definitely have seen this, Jacob. I don't think you have because it was on Twitter. But there is also an account <laughs> called Excuse Baseball. Me? Okay, well, let me ask you: Have you seen baseball images <laughs> that precede unfortunate events? Have you seen a picture that they posted about that or no? I, I can you, you just explain you it? I, no, no, I, I probably have seen it. Can it's you an, just explain you, it? It's you an incredible Twitter it. account, by the way. Just, I, I think I've seen it because I remember seeing but something. Just like a, that a couple just days a backstory. Ago. It's an account that basically. It's kind of like an old takes exposed thing where something, an old picture, like an old tweet, and they kind of tweet it now as it's kind of like comes back to haunt you or just to look how bad the take looked at the time. But anyways, it's 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 run by Yankees fans. And basically oh, no. that they tweeted uh, a couple, it was yesterday, that they pretty much tweeted the quote that Vladimir Guru Jr. said about the movie. Last year was the trailer. This year you're seeing the movie. To me, it doesn't make sense because it just feels like as much as we understood, I guess, the expectations with this team in terms of division and all that, the Jays are still a playoff team. Like, as, as much as it's unfortunate events that they didn't, you know, be better than the Yankees this year, it's still, it, to me, it doesn't make sense in terms of you using the picture in for a playoff team. I understand. If they miss the playoffs, I completely understand why that tweet would be made. But anyways, it's just, it's constant backlash from um, definitely what we saw throughout the last couple of days from Yankees fans. It's fine with me. I, I 
I guess a part of me enjoys it now because of how competitive it truly is, how competitive this division is. And, um, you know, throughout this series, of course, the final two games, you had Jose Brios going, you had Mitch White going, you know, on paper, in terms of what you saw from a, you know, a pitching matchup standpoint, it didn't look good um, from other than, of course, that game one, because that game one was definitely a really an incredible game. And it was a really good start from Kevin Gosman, too. So I just think it was kind of the luck of how the rotation kind of lined up to give them a chance. Of course, there are many flaws that I'm sure we're going to talk about in terms of just mistakes and crucial mistakes that can't happen again. And as much as it, the series didn't end off on a great note, we're can still revert back to what we said at the beginning of this podcast. The the only thing that really matters now is you know after clinching the postseason to keep your you know keep the pedal to the metal and keep going so you can clinch that home field advantage. So I expect it from Yankees fans. I'm it's fine. You know I just think that in terms of using the word toxic, it's definitely a word I wouldn't use if I'm a Yankees fan or just any sort of New York fan because if they think you know Toronto's bad compared to them, it's just it's it to me it's not even close. Experiencing both sides of the fan base, but. That's just me. Well, didn't some Yankee fan throw a beer can at a player? I, I think it was somebody on Cleveland, like, previously, like, this season. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they caught, like, the yeah. final out. Like, who are you calling was toxic? It, with, um, it, was, it was either it was, earlier it was, this year. Or I think it was Stephen Kwan, wasn't it? It was Stephen Kwan they threw it at. Yeah, maybe. And yeah, and then then, some, Oh, yeah, and then someone, like, jumped into the, almost jumped somebody into the Somebody freaked out on started, Cleveland, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Okay. Yeah, I mean... Yankee fans, someone just bringing else. Dirt up. That, this I'm, had no substance to it. I just wanted to no, say we, it. We enjoy any Yankee slander. I was about to bring up my own slander, talking about images that precede unfortunate events. Um, Yankees have been dog water since the start of July, and they nearly blew a 16-game lead for the division. So before you start talking about how the Blue Jays haven't lived up to expectations this season, let's talk about a team that was on pace to have the best record in baseball history and is now just barely clawing, clinching in the final week of the season. So anyways, let's continue to crap on Yankee fans. I love it. Um, Okay, let's go to game two where we can crap on our own team for a little bit because it was a less than ideal game from the Blue Jays. And the two things that stand out, or I guess more than two things, but the two players that stand out from this game is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo and they don't stand out in a good way. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., kind of watches a ball sail into the outfield, turns out to be just what should be a double. It doesn't go over the wall, and he, after watching it for a little bit, kicks it into high gear. Seems like he tried to make up for his mistake of sitting at home plate for a little bit and got caught out at second on the throw. And then kind of a similar thing with Bo Bichette running full speed, and then he pops off the bag at second base, gets tagged out, and then Bo Bichette also had a throwing error. That was bad, and then... Not the same game, but game three, Adam Simber had an error throwing home that was just really brutal, and he kind of beat himself up for it in the moment, and then turned out that he missed his role in covering home plate, and another run scored. So just not great defense all around for the Blue Jays. What I want to ask you guys about is what we saw from John Schneider after the game, because I thought this was really interesting, because we all know the reason Charlie Montoya was fired, or at least the reason that we heard from players in the clubhouse, was that Blue Jay players were not being held accountable for their mistakes. There wasn't a atmosphere of accountability in the clubhouse. And what John Schneider said after the game about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. seems to indicate that that culture of accountability is there. So he said, quote, Vladdy flat out needs to run harder. That's inexcusable. And there's no more cut and dry example of a manager calling out a player than that. So... 
I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts. Was it appropriate for John Schneider to do that in this situation? Like, yes, he kind of was brought in to play this role, but is that role meant to be done behind the scenes? Kind of the whole praise in public, criticize in private type of mentality. Like, was this the right decision on a game that is broadcast nationally in the United States because it was against the Yankees and Aaron Judge? Is it the time to call out your star player for not running hard? Should that type of thing be done behind the scenes? Or do you agree with Schneider in calling him out publicly? See, it's a tough situation because part of me agrees with it and part of me doesn't like it. Part of me doesn't like it, but I also understand that yeah, th- that was inexcusable. The Simber play, not only th- the throwing error, but then just, I mean, I understand being like, oh crap, I just made that error, but you need to run. Like that, regardless of the outcome of the game, you need to run. Bichette, to some extent I can excuse, but Guerrero, not at all. And even Teoscar Hernandez, you know, you look at him, he was inches away from a grand slam, but just barely made it to second base. And with a better throw, like the thing is, the throw went home. He he was like a third of the way to second base when that throw was was released from the hand. Like if that was thrown to second, he'd be out. That is not excusable. And that is not how you win a playoff series. Like you want to talk about you're facing good teams. I mean, I know you're facing the Red Sox and the Orioles, but you're going to most likely face the Rays. Then it's all, you know, it's the division leaders. Like you are not going to face bad teams who are going to get, let you get away with these mistakes. And as much as I hate it to get called out by somebody, especially publicly, I, I think it was to some extent the right move. Just, just this once. I'm not saying you go out and say, oh, you know, Barrio sucks every time he has a bad outing or something like that. Like, I'm not saying you go do it every time, but when somebody clearly does something that they should not do and that they are known to be better in, why not? I mean, you know, and it's just this one time, you know, obviously not every time something happens, you go out and rip a player, but you make it known that, yeah, you need to be better if you want to be a good player on this team. And the team has all the potential in the world, but if you do that, like that, that's just not excusable. And you look at it, even that Bo Bichette play, like I know I've, I've talked about all of them because I, all of the errors, because I kind of view them all together, but that one was a rally killer. Like Bichette hits that he's out Guerrero's then out. Like that's two guys at second base that are out. And at that time, the blue Jays were still in the game. Like that cannot happen. And it's, it's unfortunate. You don't want to be called out by players or by opponent or you can't even speak right now, but you don't want to be called out by your <laughs> manager. But I understand where John Schneider's coming from. And let's just hope they move on from this because you don't want this to happen. You don't want to have to discuss should he have been so harsh on the player because ideally the player shouldn't be doing this. So let's just hope everybody moves forward with it. And let's not forget, and I know this is a terrible argument to make, but these are still young players, relatively speaking. The, this should not happen in your fourth year in the big leagues, but I have a strong feeling that going forward, a mistake like this is never going to happen again. And even for Adam Simber, I don't think we've ever seen that. So things like this will definitely not happen after seeing what we just saw. And now if you're John Schneider, you say, guys, this is, this is literally the most important stretch of our season. Get things together or else we're going to be playing golf with the Leafs in a few months. I'm sorry, I had, to bring, I had to bring that up. That's two now, man. I, I had yeah, to bring yeah, that one up. Twice. Anyway, on a serious note, they need to get things better, be better, a lot better, or else this is going to be a very short playoff run. I'll say I'll say one thing, Jacob. Buck Martinez would definitely disagree with what you said about the young player excuse because I'm, I don't know if you guys heard it, but basically 
when this was all transpiring on the telecast, Buck Martinez went off. It had to be about two minutes. Just pretty much, you know, I, I don't want to say ripping the team, but pretty much calling the team out as well. I know it's obviously more impactful about what John Schneider did, which I'll get to in a sec. But what he said, too, a lot of it, you know, it, for me, it was hard to disagree with him in terms of a lot of what he said. And basically saying, as much as they are young, yes, this is year three, year four for them in the big leagues. Like, this this has to be cleaned up. And he pretty much went along the lines of saying how consistent effort is what make championship teams win, and pretty much along those lines. And the truth, when you look at it um, throughout the this, this season and even before this game, uh, pretty much what happened in game two, what bothers me or what scares me a little bit is that this has kind of had its moments all year. There's been different things happening throughout the year at once. Um, you can pretty much name, you know, there was a whole kind of stretch about a month ago now, at the beginning of September, when Teoscar Hernandez looked completely out of it, both at the plate and on the field. He was dealing with a foot injury. He was still playing with a foot injury. Um, that's number one. Uh, there was, of course, Bo Bichette, who's been amazing at the plate in the second half of the season, basically making up for what happened uh, for an up-and-down first half of the season. Reality at shortstop this year when pretty much throwing the ball, there's been a lot of miscues uh, in terms of that. I think there was one time uh, at the beginning of the month I pretty much said as well, he was him alongside Javier Baez were at the at top of the American League in terms of errors. That's another issue. Um, cons- you know, the odd player not running out of completely ground ball or not, you know, giving it their effort. That's the kind of thing that we've seen as well. As much as you can see that with a lot of teams in Major League Baseball, it just feels like the costly mistakes the Jays have had in their or made in their moments this year. Of course, it's not every single game, but it just transcribes what the season has been. It's been up and down where you've had a, a flash of hot streaks, and then, of course, you've also had its moments where it's looked really ugly. And a lot of those ugly moments included some flaws on the field and you know just at the plate or whatever it was. And it pretty much goes against to what Buck Martinez was saying in terms of a championship team, in terms of giving effort every day. And you, know, you look at a team now in September – not April, uh, even if you want to take that, of course, you take that into account. Of course, also mention again, this is year three, year four for some of these guys. Uh, there's a couple of really bad mistakes in that game. You guys talked about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. pretty much stares at a, a single that he thought he had over the fence and basically he had to try and make up for it by sprinting uh, at first base because of obviously what happened at home plate and he was out by a mile and that's something that of course if he's hustling he's in there easily standing at second base uh there was the Bobachet miscue of course even before that as much as you don't really want to blame him I think I just blame the teams in terms of that that little lazy fly ball that went out to center field where it was him uh George Springer was in center field I can't remember who was in right field it might have been Teoscar Hernandez but basically Bobachet was kind of calling for it but he kept following the ball and there just there was no communication on that play and then there was the Obviously, the throwing error the next inning, and of course, the on-base error where he slid into second base. He came off the bag. Like, you know, I think the word what John Schneider used was obviously fairly accurate in terms of inexcusable plays, and I'm sure he dealt with it as well. Of course, he spoke to the media about it, and I'm sure he also dealt with it behind closed doors. So, part of the reason why, though, um, of course, you guys were talking about it in terms of this managerial change is that John Schneider took over in, you know, mid to late July, and a lot of this took time to kind of kick in, and time, you know, in terms of seeing the John Schneider effect of how different he is in terms of a managerial approach. And that's why I think, 
you know, where things stand right now, what, what the difference between John Schneider or what makes him different in this managerial change is that he will hold players accountable. There, there's been lots of instances this year, too, where you've seen him go in the dugout and pretty much talking to a player right after a mistake was made. I talked about Teoscar Hernandez. There's, you know, one miscue in right field that happened at the beginning of the month. It was shown on uh, the broadcast that in between of the inning or in between innings, he went right to him right away to figure out what the heck happened on that play. So I think that's why you'll see now that the John Schneider effect is definitely something that you can kind of feel confident in just to kind of steer them in the right direction. But at the same time, I'd be lying to you guys that if, you know, this is not in the back of my mind in a playoff game, just because of how much we've seen it this year, it worries me a little bit, but you got to hope that they can, you know, learn from this quickly. And it's not ideal with the timing either, that they're doing this in the final month of the season, the final couple weeks of the season. So that's kind of what worries me a bit. But at the same time, we know that John Schneider holds people accountable. We know that the conversation he had with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was apparently productive, which is good news. And you just got to hope that this doesn't happen in a playoff game coming up uh, next weekend. And can I just clarify the whole argument of it, them being young? I don't fully agree with that, or I don't agree with that at all. I was just bringing that up because I think it brings sub, sub, some substance. Some people f- mentioned it. It's not excusable. I think you can't make these mistakes. And you're not new to the game of baseball. I think I said this what's, years ago. What's inexcusable is your leaf references twice on this podcast. Uh, Do you want a third one? You're walking him back into it, Bryson. <laughs> I will make it. Th- uh, what's inexcusable is not making it past the first round. Uh, okay. Okay. Okay, <laughs> okay. Moving okay, on. Okay. Next topic. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, this can't happen in the playoffs. Obviously, this is inexcusable um, as we've been over. Like, it can't happen and for a team at this stage of their season and like we say at this stage of their career like these are no longer yes they are by age young but they've been around the block they've been in the majors for three four sometimes five years depending on who you're talking about this can't happen with guys this experienced and in these important games so um yeah it's inexcusable but um in terms of the way it was handled i think it was handled correctly like john schneider as i've said was brought in to serve this role he is doing it and yeah you might live by the mantra of criticize privately praise publicly but when you're making mistakes at this stage in time you gotta call him out somewhere you gotta draw the line somewhere and i think what's important here is the relationship behind the comments it's not like this is i don't know just to bring up an example i think like whit merrifield if whit merrifield didn't run out of fly ball and John Schneider went out there and criticized him as doing something that's inexcusable. I think that's a different situation. And it's because John Schneider has been with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for years. He's been with him pretty much his entire development from beginning pro baseball to where he is now. That's a span of what? Six, seven, eight years? They obviously have a very close relationship. And when you are that close with someone, you can talk to them privately, as I'm sure Schneider did after that misplay and say, look, that was a mistake. That can't happen. I'm going to call you out publicly for that. Like there's a level of trust there that is built into the relationship that I think makes it more okay than if Schneider was doing it with someone that he just met a month ago. So I think that's a key distinction in this conversation. And I think that's a key nuance. So I'm okay with it. I'm all for it at this stage in the season. It is inexcusable and it can't be happening. So yeah, call him out because you have that relationship. You know that the next day, walking into the clubhouse, you're not going to have a fight with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because you have that relationship. I'm sure Schneider told him and warned him beforehand, I'm going to say something because I'm going to get asked about it, and uh, it's your mistake. It's on you. So, yeah, I'm totally okay with it. 
Um, and on Bo, like, yeah, Bo's ex- mistakes are more excusable. Um, like popping off the base, it happens. Making an errant throw from shortstop, it happens. It's tough to watch. You don't uh, want it to happen. In let me stop you right there. That error throw that cannot happen. That happens more than it should. I'm... The base okay. thing I agree I'm going to disagree you. with you there. Oh. I think the error, like it's. I don't know. It's baseball. Like, yeah, but I know he, he like leads the league in errors almost. Like, I, I okay. I'm not does say his defense need to improve? A yes. thousand percent. Is that one error reason to hate on Bobuchet and call him out? I don't, like, I don't think so. Like, I think like it's baseball. These things. Like, Marcus Simeon is an incredible defender, and we all saw what he did against the Tigers last year. Like, I don't know. These things happen. In baseball, what's inexcusable is not giving it your all. And that's why I think what Vladdy did is a real problem. So that's why I draw the line between them. Like, making a bad throw, like, Bobuchet puts in the work. That's not the problem. It was just kind of a combination of luck that resulted in that bad throw. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. didn't put in the work. And that's what the problem is. So that's the distinction between the two situations in my mind. I do want to get, before we wrap it up, to... I guess what most non-Blue Jay fans cared about in this series, and that's Aaron Judge. And we all know in Game 3 of this series, the Blue Jays are being no hit, actually have a perfect game going. Garrett Cole has a perfect game going against the Blue Jays, entering the sixth inning. They're down 3-0. The Blue Jays charge back in a electrifying inning and tie the game 3-3. In the next half inning, the top of the seventh, Tim Meza comes out and gives up Home run number 61 to Aaron Judge. Um, This was a moment, we talked about this last week. I was excited for this moment. I thought it was going to be a really cool baseball moment. But watching it in that scenario was just crushing. And I could not watch the rest of the game without being pissed. And it was just a terrible night after that. Because it was what I thought was going to be an awesome moment that we could celebrate and recognize. And of course, it is a piece of baseball history that we should recognize and celebrate but for the Blue Jays to be in that situation you it's just so frustrating it's so deflating for that to happen in that scenario and um before you guys talk about this moment quick shout out to Frankie Lasagna Frankie Lasagna <laughs> that poor dude I'm, I'm so sorry for him it's it's one of those things like if it was me I'd be laughing but I feel bad for him. but anyways as for this situation it's it's tough because the Blue Jays tied it the last half of the inning at that point like the game was a completely different story at that point and then it was over I mean you look at it Yankees are now up they ended up winning after that you see the Simber error it's the, the game unfortunately was over if you're a Blue Jay and if you're a Blue Jay fan it was just absolutely crushing and I mean I guess it's cool that it happened in Toronto we got to actually see it not just like watch it on the highlights or something after but you know, it was funny. So I was actually watching the game. Surprisingly, yeah, I actually <laughs> no, watched no. the games, you guys. But <laughs> anyways. Um, wow, what a flex. No, so I so I was watching you're actually it. actually watching a game that and... you're supposed to talk about on a podcast every three days? But so I was watching it, and my family was watching the game with me too. I came home a little bit late anyway, so I was watching it. And my mom's like, you know how awesome it would be for him to get that home run, right? And I was like, yeah, but can you do it like tomorrow, not when the Blue Jays are tied? The next pitch. Aaron Judge takes deep. I was like, "Mom, you gotta leave. I'm mad right now." Like it's, I was, I was so mad at that moment because it was like, of, of course, 
you guys don't believe in jinxes, but right as we're talking about him getting that home run, he gets it. But no, it's it's a great moment for baseball. I'm I'm happy for Aaron Judge. I hope he gets to 62. I hope he gets to 65 or more. Like I hope that record's not broken for a long, long time. But could it have not happened when the Blue Jays or Yankees were not playing or when the Blue Jays were up like 6-3 to three and it didn't really matter at that point? But it is what it is. At the end of the day, it's a nice baseball thing to witness. I, like I said, I hope he gets more home runs. It's, you know, I hope he breaks that, that steroid record, but it's one of those things where it just sucked for Blue Jay fans. And it, you know, it's almost like being a Ranger fan when people talk about the bat flip because you, it's a great moment, but it absolutely sucks because you were on the complete opposite end of it. But I think we'll just throw that game out, call that a write-off and pray that that never happens to the Blue Jays again, where they're not on the receiving end of history. Well, Rangers fans to this day still like to brag about a punch the following May when it meant nothing. But anyways, we're not getting into that again. I just had to throw that in there. But I think what was incredible throughout this series, first of all, shout out to Aaron Judge. Um, incredible player. Like As much as he is a Yankee, like you, you can't ignore what he's doing. Nobody can ignore what he's doing. And the biggest gamble he ever took, obviously what he did in spring training, turning down that extension, no matter where it is, he's going to get a lot more than what the Yankees offered him. And that's going to be kind of, I guess that's pretty much the biggest free agent this winter. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But it was just fascinating seeing, I guess, just the attention that everybody had in terms of, first of all, left field, uh, you know, nationally broadcasting everything. I think it was the most streamed game on the S Network in history. I believe that's what I saw today. The fact that he got basically special baseballs with a serial number on it to pretty much, I guess, just validate the baseball and make sure there was no fakes that were trying to get out there after. It was pretty fascinating to see, even when you were in the building for game one, like I was, just seeing how the, the ball boy would come, just go to home plate with a separate bag of baseballs. And what they did was they basically hid the marker on it because they didn't want people copying um, everything about the ball. It was just really cool how they how secretive they were being about it and, and how much of a big deal this truly was. And the fact is, I think what Kevin Gosman said pretty much nailed it on the head in terms of why Aaron Judge was walked so many times this series is that you don't want to be the answer to a trivia question. So unfortunately for Tim Meza, he will be the answer to that trivia question. However, as much as he is, and I'm not trying to take anything away from the record, I'd rather give up the tying one, not the new record. And at least the new record won't be against the Jays, which is something that you can kind of, you know, be, I guess, fine with. So that's one thing I kind of took note of there. And speaking of walking Aaron Judge, and we were just talking about John Schneider, I think we should def- definitely give a quick shout-out to his de- decision in Game 1, walking Aaron Judge to load the bases for Tim Meza to face Anthony Rizzo. What a great call that was, and obviously it worked out. But I just think that, obviously, that was one out of many walks that happened this series. And he got a hold of the one in Game 3, like you guys said. And the other thing that bothers me, and I know... I guess both teams are probably fine with the result of this as well, is that the ball didn't go to a fan. There's been lots of talk over the course of the last week. If you're in that, of course, I'm going to ask you guys this, so I'll give you guys a notice now. If you're in that position, no matter if it's 61 or 62, I think the estimated earnings on 61 was around 300 grand. And of course, 62, from what I was seeing, was worth $2 million. So... As much as, again, you're avoiding a headache about dealing with the fan who catches the ball, it's also kind of boring that it went in the bullpen. I mean, like this is the entire reason why there is going to be renovations at the stadium in the winter. And to take away these moments, you know, if that's at Rogers Center the next year, that's in a fan's hands because obviously the seats are over the bullpen. So you won't get that 
at all anymore uh, going forward. But I just, I don't know. I, f- I found that kind of boring how nobody got the ball. It would have been cool if Yusei Kikuchi got the ball um, or anybody else. But, of course, even knowing the collective efforts of how they got the ball to Zach Britton, you know, shout out to him. Very famous guy who loves the visitor's bullpen <laughs> at Rogers Center. I think that was a joke that was floating around. But how they kind of coordinated it and made sure they got the ball to Aaron Judge, which was, which was really cool. It just... I guess the efforts of giving him the ball after was really cool. Just this whole series was definitely interesting. Even the reception he got, as much as it was a go-ahead home run that he hit, he got a decently well reception from uh, the Jays fans uh, because of that home run. And honestly, you, you can't do anything but respect the guy for it. I don't know where you guys stand on this either. We never really spoke about this, but... That's the American League MVP. I, I don't want to hear any argument about Shohei Otani. I know I'm not saying you guys are, but there was still a lot of people that were arguing that Shohei Otani should have been an MVP again. So I'll leave it at that with that. And I will throw it back at you guys, though. If you guys were Frankie Lasagna but caught the ball, let's just say <laughs> you catch the ball. First of all, what a name. And the fact is, I thought Frankie Lasagna was the guy that the ball went off the glove. That wasn't Frankie Lasagna. That guy was turning down interviews left, right, and center, and we have no idea what ever happened to that guy afterwards. So I guess Frankie Lasagna was beside him. But anyways, if you guys are that fan, and let's just throw out 62 because 62 is supposed to be worth $2 million. What are you doing with the baseball uh, when you get the ball? And, of course, everyone's, you know, the team officials trying to get it back from you. What are your demands to give up the ball? I want to hear Jacob's answer on this. This is going to be so, fun. It is such McDonald's a good, franchise. such a fun topic. <laughs> yes, yeah. I would like to say goodbye the, to Jacob. I the know CEO of McDonald's in exchange for that ball, but no. Um, so if it's early in the game, I'm probably taking that thing and running, like leaving the well, stadium. Well, yeah, you're because someone's you're getting escorted out no matter what. Yeah. You you get escorted out mm. by security no matter what. And the ball's got to get authenticated too. Yeah. They had a guy there that was doing it. Mm. No, I think I'm going to give you a creative answer. I don't have a price. The Yankees can offer me something, and if I like it... Oh, that's a cop-out. Come no, on. I'm kidding. Okay, that's fine. such well, a... Yeah, you, you have to... Come on, you can't avoid I that. I want... What do you... Do, but do you take the money, or do you, like, just give it back for... Like, what do you do? Or do you sell it, like, to... That's pretty much what I'm asking. Like, I, I think... Do you pretty much play hardball to get that? Not well, what the asking price is. I wouldn't... Yeah. I wouldn't... Okay, I wouldn't be the idiot that's like, give me $10 million or I'm not going to give you the ball. I'd honestly... I'd probably just want to meet him. I don't know. Give me like a jersey and something. Like maybe money. You're gonna I trade a million dollars for a hundred dollars. You are crazy. No, I would. No, no, no. Sorry. I mean, like, I would. I, I would want to meet this guy. I want like pictures. I want every, like proof that I've met him and everything. I, I'd probably want you know at least. Okay, I'm gonna say it this way. Give me like a million dollars because you were saying two million is the estimated price or three million, whatever yeah. it was. Give me like a. I say give me, but that sounds so rude. But like, I'll take maybe. We're waiting like, for an answer here. Okay, I would say give me a million dollars. With a, just a chance to meet Aaron Judge, well, and then still, give me you're like still a, getting ripped off. I'm sorry. Okay, so you're selling it for a million dollars. A million. Okay, one point five mil. Meeting Aaron Judge. <laughs> you're and you're selling jersey. it for money. Yes, <laughs> that's the, the point. <laughs> you're selling it for however much the market gives. What a well, complicated I could, answer! I could give oh it for God. free, but like nobody else would. I want to hear Mark now. I think. I would okay. I don't know actually how this stuff works, but I think I would donate it to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Wow. Which I say because first off, I don't want to just go to Aaron Judge's private collection because I think that's BS. People should be able to look at it and enjoy it instead of it being stuck in a closet somewhere, or display or whatever in Aaron Judge's house. But second off, like I don't want to be caught in all the the media firestorm of selling it and all that. 
uh, controversy because I would recommend the documentary to you guys and everyone listening. It's called Up for Grabs, and it's about Barry Bonds' 73rd home run and what happened with the ball after. And there's two people who are fighting over possession and went on like a court case, and it was a whole thing. I don't want to be caught up in any of that, so I'm donating it to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. I don't know if they would like if I donated to them and then Barry or uh, Aaron Judge wanted it if they would like have to give it to Aaron Judge. I don't know how that would work, but I would donate it to the Hall of Fame because I don't think it should be in a private collection. I think it should be public display and I don't want to get caught up in all the controversy, but highly recommend going to watch up for grabs. It's on YouTube. It's an hour and a half long, I think. Would highly recommend it. What would you do, Bryson? <laughs> I'm definitely going to have a more harsh answer than you guys. <laughs> I want, number one, I want $2 million. I want a signed bat. I want a signed ball from Aaron Judge. I want <laughs> a picture with Aaron Judge. You've thought this through. <laughs> oh, I because I told you, it's been like a heavy conversation. We never had the chance to talk about it because I guess we ran out of time last time. But I want that money. And if they're not willing to pay for it, somebody's going to be paying for it, um, no matter where it is, if you put it up somewhere. So I have a lot of demands. But that two million dollars—that's that's a must. That's that's a good starting point for me. Um, but I just also just thinking about it, like if that ball goes loose, not even if it's just a straight catch, like people would get like severely injured over. Like there well, would be fights over that. That's what yeah. the documentary is about. Because there's this one guy who's claiming that he caught Bond seventy third, and then it popped out of his glove, and he claims that the other guy like pushed it out of his glove and stole it. It's like a, it's a mess. That like that. Just thinking about it, it would be very ugly. Like Frankie Lasagna fighting whatever the, <laughs> that guy's name was for the ball if it landed, you know, where they were. I just, that's one thing. Like, you got to be very careful. You have to, like, like what Jacob said, you got to get there and you got to run. Like, you have to run. And I believe you get escorted out or anything like that afterward. But for me, that $2 million that what they said is estimated price, that's one thing I'm going for. I have to. Wow. You had that locked and loaded. You knew exactly what you I wanted. was ready. I respect it. I respect it. Interesting that we have three different answers. I think that's interesting. Okay. Um, we're running out of time here. Three games against Boston. We've been over the starters. We've been over the stakes of this series and what the Blue Jays need to do. What do you think is going to happen? Sweep. Oh, Red Sox okay. are out of it. Blue Jays know no, what they I like need it. to do. I like it. I'm, t- I'm getting the broom out on Sunday or whatever day it is today. I'm getting the broom out. They're sweeping this team. I will say, I know they're supposed to celebrate. I, I assume they're going to celebrate tomorrow after the game. They better look forward to winning the game first. Alec Manoa is going. you got to feel confident. We know who's going. The best, Your best guys, are, your wild card rotation is going this weekend. They play the Red Sox well. You have your best three. I'll, I'll side with Jacob. I'll call a sweep. Wow. I think there will be a little bit of a hangover from the celebration. And that's not... I know these games matter, but I don't think that's necessarily a terrible thing. Thing. Like, as long as you're not purposely putting out, like, I don't know, Whit Merrifield hitting leadoff or something like that. As long as you're not purposely making dumb lineup decisions. And, like, I think the point being, I think there'll be a bit of a hangover. I'm going two or three. Um, okay. So, what you're saying well, is, is they're going to lose the Saturday game. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Stripling game. Which, if I was just looking at the starters, that's what I would probably put my money on anyways. So, okay. Exciting times ahead. Series against Boston, series against Baltimore, and then we're into the wild card, wherever it may be. All three of us have tickets if it's in Toronto. We cannot wait. It is an exciting time to be a Blue Jay fan. As always, you can support us. Patreon.com slash Section138Pod. You can give us a rating and review wherever you listen. 
Follow us on social media at Section138Pod, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We'll catch you on Sunday at the end of this series with only a week to go until the postseason.